I kind of think about, um, now that I have four children, about the most important thing to share with my children. And of course, that is always a gospel message. But what would I say if it was my last words to them? Well, what would I write? What would I tell them if, if, if I thought that this might be the last thing I ever said? I, I think about that quite, quite a bit as I started to go through this message, because if I, if I really want to be honest, I, I want my children to have a better life than I ever thought about having. I want them to avoid the mistakes that I made. I, I, I want them to, to do better and go further. Than, than what I could ever dream of or imagine. And so everything that I do is trying to set my children up. And so if you have any kind of children in your life, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, or maybe just an older brother or sister or an aunt or uncle, you know what I'm talking about because you, you love your, the kids in your life. And you want to make a difference. You want something to be special for them. You want them to avoid the kinds of mistakes you made. Because... If you're like me, you've made a couple mistakes, okay, if you're going to be honest. I mean, um, I, I didn't always like school, <laughs> and that's pretty apparent for my grades, to be honest with you, throughout school. Um, you know, C is passing, <laughs> and, and so there were times in my life where I, I couldn't wait to get out of school, you know, recess and, and, uh, and lunch were my favorite subjects of the day, you know? Anybody like that? Okay, good. I'm not alone. And, and I, I couldn't wait to get out of school. I couldn't wait to, to, to leave. I, I wanted to go ride my bike. I want to go play. But, but if, if I didn't kind of start stepping up in high school, things would have gotten bad for me. Because to be honest with you, I, I quickly realized that grades ended up being really important. And, and that it was important for me to uh, not only make a good grade for my parents, but it was also important because if I wanted to go to college, if I wanted to get a job, they were going to look at those grades, and that was going to be a hurdle that I needed to overcome. And, and, and so I want my kids starting off to enjoy school, to love school. I don't want them to deal with the kinds of problems I dealt with. Or maybe you're here this morning and and, and you were infatuated with the idea of love and relationships. And so, so you gave your heart away over and over again. And, and really through your, your 20s, it, it kind of felt like you were on a roller coaster of love. And, and you realized soon that, that being on a roller coaster wasn't all it's cracked up to be. To be honest with you, it just kind of, kind of makes you sick after a while. And so you want your kids to discover who they are and, and who they are in Christ before they go out and try to discover a love with somebody else. And so you, you, you try to guard them and protect them and shape their perspective so that they don't get overly infatuated with relationships too early. Or, or maybe you just enjoyed the idea of freedom so much growing up that you didn't want any bills, and you didn't want a mortgage, and you didn't want uh, kids, and you didn't want family, you didn't want a job, and then you soon found out you needed that. <laughs> and so you went out and you, you got it, and slowly, ever so slowly, things started strapping you down, and, and, and you realized that it wasn't as bad as you thought, it wasn't so scary as, as it came, but... But you look back and you realize that you lost a lot of time. 
and you just want, you want your kids to understand that maybe partying and, and, and going out and living it up wasn't all that it's supposed to be. And besides, it kind of ends in loneliness, doesn't it? And so, so you want your kids to have a stable life. You want your kids to have a better life than you. So what would it, the advice that you would share with your kids be? Well, what would it be? What would be your last words, the most important things to share with your kids so that they would have a better life, that they would have a better time of it, that they would have a, a cleaner run of life than you? See, I, I thought about it for a little while. And to be honest with you, it, it, it's kind of hard because I, I, I want to. And many of you would say, yeah, you, you want to say everything, don't you? Because you always get out of church late. But if we're going to be honest, if you boil it all down, it's hard to pick one thing to share with your kids. Now, now Paul, the apostle, didn't, didn't realize it was his last letter. But 2 Timothy was a letter to his spiritual son. And he, he thought about things to share. And he, he must have known that his time was short. He, he must have known and understood because he was in prison in Rome as he wrote this book. He, he knew that he was up against a wall here, so to speak. He knew that, that, things, were, that things were getting worse for him. As a matter of fact, he was calling for Timothy to come and visit him, bring him stuff, bring his papers, and, and help him in ministry. But as he wrote this letter, this is some of his last ideas and last things that he would share with Timothy. And Timothy is not just some kind of, you know, teenage intern. You know, if Paul cared so much to share something with Timothy, and Timothy really had a handle on, on God and, and on ministry, because Timothy was a, a pastor himself. He was, he was installed by Paul as a pastor of Ephesus. And so, so as Paul is talking to Timothy, he's not just saying something kind of good. He, he's not just kind of distilling it. He, he, he's really wanting him to know something very very important. Timothy understood God, understood the God. As, as a matter of fact, Timothy was one of the co-authors of six of the New Testament books. Six of them. Second Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, and, and Philemon. All of these are co-authored by Timothy. But yet, Paul thought it was important enough, this message was important enough to share with Timothy as one of his last things he would ever write to him. We find it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 20. And this is what Paul said. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. Now, verse 21, watch this. So he draws this, he draws this, uh, this metaphor out. And then he says this, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. So today you might be here and you're wondering why exactly your life is not going according to plan. You wonder why you try so hard and you love so much and, 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 and you're trying to live for the Lord, but, but it doesn't feel like you're being used. You want to be used in your work. You want to be used in your family. You want to be used in your church, but it, it, feels, like, it feels like God is not using you at all. Maybe 
And the fear is maybe you're not good enough to be used. You're, you're not pure enough to be used. And this is real fear because it's, it's truly real. It's not just a fantasy. It's not just a, a wrong notion. You could not be good enough to be used by God. And so today, as Paul is giving Timothy advice, let us lean in and find out what it takes to be pure and good and ready to be used by God so that not only is it a blessing for you, but you can pass on the blessing to your children. Amen. But before we get into any of that, you probably noticed that I've got um, a bottle of water on the stage. I got, I got some stuff here. And this is, this is actually a, a measuring cup, not a shot glass. So we're going to be talking about sin, but not showing you sin today. Okay, measuring glass. Okay. But I want to I bring attention to this because as you can see, this is just a, 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 a bottle. This is actually my, my son's favorite water bottle at the moment. Okay, my wife got this at a store for him. For him, this is just a. This was already filled with water whenever it came. It's one of those uh, water bottles that you're supposed to drink it and kind of discard it. But it has turned into his favorite water bottle. He loves the thing, and so we've had to like wash it a lot. <laughs> and my wife reminded me that it's not we, but it's she has washed it a lot, right? And, and, and he, he loves it. But, but if you really look at this bottle, there's really not that anything real special about it. Okay. It, it's not double lined and vacuum sealed. So it's whatever, whatever water is put into it, it's not going to stay cold. If you put something cold in it, it's going to sweat. Okay. And get everywhere. If you, if you put something hot in it, it's going to get hot and, and it's going to burn your hand. Okay. There's not anything special about the lid. It's just a screw on lid. Doesn't have a straw or a kind of snap, one of those fancy closures. If you take the lid off and you dump the water, uh, you know, if you spill it, it's going to spill everywhere. There's nothing special about this thing. As a matter of fact, I was looking all over and, and it, this is not BPA free. As a matter of fact, it probably has all the BPAs in it. Okay, I, I mean, it's just a plain water bottle. But the thing that makes it so special is that my son Johnny loves it. He loves the thing. There's no carry strap. There's no hook. It's just, just a water bottle. And, and the truth is, is that it's, it's a water bottle that is, well, it's, um, it's full of pure water, purified water, Right? Like, like through a filter, pure, like 99% filled with pure water, right? I mean, there's just a little space there. I mean, if we're going to be honest, there's a little space for, for 1%, okay? And, you know, um, this is a liter of water. Uh, would anybody be interested in drinking this pure water right now? I mean, not, well, see, 99% pure, because the truth of the matter is, is that if we do a little bit of math, we can find out that, um, that 1% of, of a liter is actually 10 milliliters. 10 milliliters is 1%. So it, it, takes, it takes 110 milliliters to fill this up completely and totally with water. And... And I, I actually have this, um, we'll call it a, a medical laboratory sample. 
Okay? I'm not sure what this sample is. Um, I don't know where it came from. I don't know, I don't know whose sample it is. I don't know what kind of health that they were in when they issued the sample. As a matter of fact, if this is your sample, you need to go back to the medical laboratory. Okay? Because the truth is, is that it is green. <laughs> and to be honest with you, um, I mean, 1% is not that much, is it? It, it really, 1% isn't that much. And, uh, and as we talk about that 1%, and I want to make sure that I only give us 1%, we will find out that 1% really isn't that much. So, it's incredibly pure and clean. I mean, it's, it's, it's 99% clean water, purified by the best purification system ever. Like my refrigerator. Okay? But yet, would anybody be willing to drink this right now? Yeah. Anybody? Yeah, you would. I know you would. <laughs> You're crazy. 99% <laughs> pure. And yet, it doesn't look pure, does it? And the truth is, is if this was a real medical sample in this, then you would say, no way. As a matter of fact, as I take the lid off of this, and maybe... You mean to tell me that not only, not only would you not drink it, but you would be willing to yell stop for me not to drink it? Are you kidding me? But I kind of think sometimes that this is like our life, isn't it? Like we go to church and we're really good people. Okay. And, and as good people, we, we're like 99 percent pure. We're like 99 percent good. We're like 99 percent in love with Jesus. But then there, there's that one percent, that one percent that that is pushed down inside of us and mixed thoroughly through us. And, and that one percent is it's just bad enough to make the whole thing wrong. To make the whole thing bad. To make the whole thing undrinkable, unusable. To the point where this whole thing needs to be dumped out and thoroughly washed and thoroughly cleaned so that we even have a chance of using it. Otherwise, somebody's going to get sick. Somebody's going to get Somebody's going get, to get so sick they might even die, depending on what that is. And that's kind of like sin in our life. Because we, we love the Lord 99%. But then there's that 1% that we don't even think matters that much. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody knows about it. It's not hurting anybody. God doesn't like it, but it's not that big of a deal. Why should I care? My friend, 1% matters. 1% matters. 1% determines whether you can be used or not.
1% changes the dynamic of the conversation from it's pure and it's clean and it's good to it's not good and it's not clean. And not only do I not want it in me, but I will go out of my way to stop somebody else from drinking it. Stop somebody else from sinning because it's not good for them either and I don't want to see them perish. I don't want to see them die. Because 1% of sin is not okay. It's not okay. And I think to myself, I think to myself, and I prayed, and I've asked the Holy Spirit to move today and ask, ask Him to put this on your heart. What's that 1% for you? What does that look like? What thing in your life is the Holy Spirit shining a spotlight on right now and saying, hey, listen, this is not okay. You want to be used? You want to speak life into people? You want, you want your children to, to grow closer to, to, to God? But yet, you've got that thing in your life that you need to get right. What is he sharing with you? Maybe it's about the relationship that you have at the office with somebody else. And you know your husband or your wife wouldn't appreciate that kind of relationship. It's a little flirtatious and it's not right. But hey, listen, it's 1% it's of your interactions with people. And it's just kind of fun. It's not going anywhere. But it's 1%. And it causes a separation between you and God. And it causes a separation whether your spouse knows about it between you and them. But it's 1%. Or maybe it's the entertainment that we watch. Because the truth is, is, you know, we click on and we watch and we're watching it, you know, and, and then our kids get up and we have to hurry and, and pause it or fast forward or stop it, turn it off. Because, you know, we don't want that stuff to go into our kids' little minds, but it's okay to go into our minds. Maybe it's the apps that we have on our phone. Maybe... You sit down and your thumbs just have a mind on, of their own and you, you, you sit down and you click and it opens up and then two hours later you realize that you wasted two hours of time and it hasn't benefited you or your family. It's pulled you away from relationships. I'm speaking to myself right now. And you know that you need to get right. It's an addiction. It's that 1%. So what's your 1%? In Paul's letter to Timothy, he, he, he writes this so that Timothy will stay pure and clean and he would be ready to be used by God. But, but just how does Paul expect Timothy to be used by God? Just how does Paul expect for, for Timothy to focus on that 1% so that he can be 100% clean, 100% set apart for, for, for God to be able to use him in, in any moment? Well, in the next verse, he gives us that key. He says this, watch this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Run from anything that stimulates useful lusts. Instead, poor, uh, pursue righteousness, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of all those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. In this one verse... We see three sentences with three separate instructions of how you and I can go from 99% pure to 100% pure. The first 
is to run from temptation. He says, run from anything that stimulates useful lusts. See, we, we need to understand and have a, a working definition of what temptation really is. And temptation, temptation is the desire to have or do something wrong or unwise. The desire to have or do something wrong or unwise. The Bible tells us exactly how temptation works in our lives. James chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to what? To death. That's right. And so we see the progression of our own sinful desires to cause temptation. We see that temptation drags us away from God's will. And as we get drug away, we find out that it's not a sin to be tempted. Because the truth of the matter is, is that every person on the face of the earth is tempted. And, and, and there's not one special person that's tempted in a special way. We're all tempted in, in the same manner of ways in the same areas of our lives. But the sin occurs not when we act on the sin, but when we make a decision to sin. That's why lust, that, that thought life of ours... That's why that's sinful, even if you don't ever act on it. It's a decision in our hearts to think and remain and allow our, our minds to stay in a place that it's not supposed to be. That's why it's a sin to hate someone. It's because even if we don't act on it, Jesus tells us that it's as if we murdered them in our hearts. So sin occurs at the decision not at the action. The action of sin is, is just the inevitability of what sin does. And as sin grows and matures in our life and it is left unchecked, it leads to the natural consequences of the sin, which, which are all sorts of bad things while we're, while we're alive here on earth. All sorts. Of, there's not one good thing that happens with sin. Sin always leads to separation in our relationships. Sin, sin always leads to a place you never want to go. Ever. You may not understand it. You may not see it. But it will lead you somewhere where you don't want to be. But the Bible is very clear that, that the wage of sin is death. And it's not just a physical corporal death. But instead it's also an eternal death. That we have to think about and and understand. First Corinthians chapter six, verse eighteen tells us that that this passage in Second Timothy is not the only place that 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 Paul says to run away from sin. He says this: run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And this is particularly difficult for many people because sin, this sin. It mimics a gift from God, 
It mimics that feeling of intimacy between a couple that God wants so badly for us to experience because it brings us into unity. It helps us to, to care and love for, for, for the needs of our, our spouse. It, it brings us into a, in, into a place of oneness together. But when, we, when we're outside of marriage, when we, when we don't obey God's law with this gift, it becomes sin because the effect of it brings not only unwanted spiritual and emotional consequences, but it'll also lead to a physical death, a spiritual death, an emotional death. And if he hadn't died from it yet, don't think that you're the one that, that gets to get out of it because it's going to lead there soon for you. It's time to run from sexual sin. Don't just say no. Like, you know the say no to drugs? It hadn't worked for 20 years. We still have a drug problem. It hasn't worked. Don't just say, say no and, and turn around and walk away. Paul's very clear. Turn around and run. Run from it. Avoid putting yourself into that situation. But what happens when that temptation runs faster than you? What happens when, when, when we're running as fast as we can, but it seems like the temptation always seems to catch up with us? Because if we want to understand temptation in a, in a real way, the temptation, it comes from our own desires. That means that no matter how fast you run, you can't outrun yourself. Sir, ma'am, you can't outrun your own desires. We're supposed to run away from those situations and circumstances, but sin's always going to end up where you are. So what happens then? Well, John tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, again, some parting thoughts from a loving father to his spiritual children. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is what? a liar, and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's, command, uh, God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they are living in God should, in, should live their lives as Jesus did. You see, there's a, a lot of people in this world today that are Christians that are terrified that their temptations and their sin are causing them to be separated from the Lord. And so you have this reoccurring fear in your life. Am I really saved? And the evidence is clear, according to John here, that if you're really saved, then you're going to obey God's commands. And it starts with repentance. And repentance is very clear. Repentance is not open for debate. It's a concrete idea. It's not abstract. 
It's this. It's a sincere regret or remorse of the desire to have or do something wrong or unwise. Repentance is the exact opposite of temptation. It's this idea that you can be over here walking towards sin and you stop and you say, I don't want this in my life anymore. I want God. And so you turn around 180 degrees and you're walking towards death, but now you're walking towards life and you say, I love you, Lord. I don't want that life anymore. I want you, Lord. I want holiness. I want righteousness in my life. It's a... It's an agreement between you and the Lord that your way was leading to death, but his way leads to righteousness. And that's what repentance looks like. God's love is free, but his forgiveness costs us something. His forgiveness is conditional. You and I must determine that we agree with God about what sin is in our life and walk towards him. But... Paul doesn't just stop there. He's, he doesn't just say run away from sin. He also says run after righteousness. See, running from something is one thing, but running towards another thing is something completely different. I was watching this National Geographic program, and there was, uh, there was a couple coyotes that were hunting this desert rabbit. And... And they were doing it strategically. This, this, this coyote is right behind the rabbit, and another coyote was coming along the side. The rabbit didn't see him coming. And all at once, they both moved in so quickly. And it was almost a sure thing. But something about it prompted the rabbit, and the rabbit, instead of jumping forward and starting to hop away, he jumped like six feet up. And he started twirling and spinning. You could tell that the rabbit was scared to death because he's about to die. And whenever the rabbit hit the ground, the, 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 those coyotes actually ran up underneath him. And the rabbit had one thing to do, as run away from the predators. So the rabbit just took off running. No rhyme, no reason, just took off running. He was just doing everything that he could to avoid being caught by the coyotes. I watched this for a few minutes because, man, this, this chase was filmed by a drone, and, and you could tell that these, they were, it went forever, like miles, like eight minutes long. I can't imagine running for eight minutes. Goodness. <laughs> and I'm in the Army. I need to work on things. <laughs> but then something changed. I was sure that that rabbit was about to get eaten. But something changed. It was in the pattern of the run for the rabbit. See, because that rabbit would just turn and spin and cut and move and run. And, and every movement by the rabbit was countered by those coyotes. But then it was like that rabbit stopped running from them and started running to something else. He found his hole. And all in one moment, right before he got caught by the hind legs, he disappeared into a hole in a cloud of dust, and he was safe. I wonder if there's somebody in this place right now that has been running for a very long time. 
You've been running away from sin because you know that it's not right. You know it's bad. You've been raised to understand it was bad. But, but something inside of you tells you that you can't keep running anymore. Maybe you've even fallen prey to it several times before, and, and thankfully it hasn't destroyed your life, but you know it's going to if left unchecked. Because sin will always lead to death. So what are we supposed to do in our lives? We're running away from sin. We're doing everything that we can. But I want you to know, mom, dad, man, woman, grandparents, that you can't overcome sin on your own. You can't just outrun it. If you could, we wouldn't need Jesus. And so where it's not about running away from sin, it's about where we run to. Psychology tells us this about addiction. It's so devastatingly evil that when we try to overcome addiction, it's like a vacuum in our lives. We take that addiction out and something will always take its place, some kind of behavior. That's why whenever you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you find a whole bunch of chain smokers. It's true. I got to give up alcohol. So they go to something else. And I think that Paul understood this concept, this practice, because he said, not only to run from sin, but run to righteous living. What behavior are you going to replace that sin with in your life? What thing are you going to chase after instead of just avoiding the sin? Maybe you have a tendency to, to burst out in anger. Maybe you, ought to, maybe you ought to speak kindness instead of bursting out in anger. Maybe you have a tendency and a desire inside of you to take something that doesn't belong to you. Maybe you should volunteer your time for free to serve others. All of these things happen inside of our lives and in our hearts. And if we are not running, uh, if we're not running to something, if we're just running away from sin, then, then chances are we're going to run to something or someone else that will still destroy our lives because it's not running to the Lord. See, this is not about doing things so that you can be saved. It's simply about because you're saved, you're going to live like it. And finally, we're supposed to run with others. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, that last sentence tells us, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. See, if, if Jesus didn't do life alone, and Paul certainly didn't do life alone, then what makes you and I think that we can do life alone? No, instead, God has ordained the church to be his body and that you and I should be fitted inside of the body as, as parts of him so that we can use our gifts to bless others. And so, so it's very clear according to scripture that being a part of a church, a body of believers, not only benefits you, but helps you supernaturally to avoid temptation. That's very clear in Scripture. And it does this in four unique ways. The first thing is community support. 
Attending church regularly provides an atmosphere and environment whereby you can engage in all sorts of, of, of people and behaviors where it, it, it gives of yourself what God has put inside of you. And other people get a chance to give to you. It's a beautiful network, a beautiful tapestry in which you and I find ourselves in where, where we might be, not be able to handle our problem, but somebody next to us can encourage us and give us the strength and motivation that we need to serve others. It gives us a, it gives us a chance of, to worship. Engaging in worship through prayer, singing, listening to sermons, doing all these acts of worship and service allows us to grow stronger in our faith. And growing stronger in our faith will cause us to strengthen ourselves against the temptations of our life. We hear biblical teaching. At Christ's legacy, you will always hear biblical teaching. Always. Every time. Every service will be filled with elements of the gospel and how you can apply that gospel to your life so that every time that you walk into this place, you'll walk out better than you came in. Now, you go somewhere else and you find that anywhere else in any other organization. You can't do it. Because it's about Jesus and about what he's done for us. And finally, it gives us a sense of accountability. Our church provides us with the opportunity to hold each other accountable. As we live our lives in front of each other, we'll in love and in grace come alongside of you and help you to see where God wants and is calling all of us to be. You see... Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 reminds us a very important fact. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially, and listen to this, now that the day of his return is drawing near. Can, can I tell somebody in this place right now? Now we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. Day by day, service by service, Wednesday night by Wednesday night, Jesus could return at any moment at a twinkling of the eye. And the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised and that we that are still alive will be caught up in the air to meet him. Incorruptible change. That's a promise. That's the great hope that we have in Christ. There should be urgency inside of us not to miss. Because even if you're not dealing with something, you could be taking away from somebody else that needs to be encouraged, that needs to be helped. And it's your job, not mine. As a church, as the body of Christ, God has given you gifts to minister and to work and to speak and to love and to hug and to shake. Not like this, but like this, okay? And we have that opportunity in Jesus' name to provide that care and that comfort, that spiritual ministry to people. So, with all that said, 1%, huh? 1%. There's some people in this room right now that probably need to deal with 1% of their lives. Some people, maybe it's not 1%, maybe it's 
Maybe it's 50. Maybe there's somebody in here that's not even saved yet. Would you stand with me all over this place? God's called us not only to run from sin, but run to righteousness and run with fellow believers. This morning, you might be here this morning. And you might be struggling in your heart, in your life, because you haven't been used by God. And, and the truth is, is that if you gave your kids, if you gave your kids that, that wisdom, that word of encouragement, you'd say, don't, don't live your life holding back that 1%. Run a clean race. And that's Paul's message to Timothy. That's my message to my kids. That's my message to you this morning. Don't hold yourself back. Don't allow 1% to keep you separated from the Lord from being used. Give it fully and totally to Christ. Would you bow your heads with me all over this place? Oh, Heavenly Father, I've already asked you this, but I ask you right now in the presence of this congregation and those joining us online, Lord, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to move across this congregation right now. Draw their hearts and lives towards you, Lord, so that we would be forever changed, never the same, Lord, that you would draw out the sin of our lives. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would supernaturally filter out every last particle of sin so that we could stand before you 100% clean, 100% pure Lord to be used by you with your head still bowed and eyes still closed I'm looking around and I want to ask you this morning if you're here and you need the Lord to filter something out of your life would you simply raise your hand I'm not going to call you out I'm not going to embarrass you but I just want to know who I'm praying with yes thank you yes thank you yes thank you I see you I'm looking around I'm looking around. Many have already raised their hands. Thank you. Yes, I see you. Looking around. I don't want to move from this moment because this is the most important part. Looking around. You're here today as an act of faith. You'd say, Pastor John, please include me in this prayer. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, thank you. I see you. Anyone else? Would you grab your the hand on each side of you. Let's just hold hands this morning as we pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, there are so many hands that were raised, and perhaps, Lord, there are even more, God, that have not been raised. But, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through a supernatural act of filtering every last particle of sin out of our lives, I pray that we'd be able to stand before you completely clean, completely whole, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for those hands that have been raised this morning. Lord, as they represent a rededication of their hearts and lives to you. Lord, I pray, God, that they would feel inside of their heart as clean as you just made them. Lord, for the truth is, is that while sin is, occurs at the decision to do wrong, salvation occurs at the decision to do right. And I thank you, Lord, that your salvation is more powerful than any sin could ever stand to be. I thank you, Lord, for these decisions and so many more. I pray, God, that as we walk out of here, we'll be forever changed. Lord, because we found you and we can give hope and we can do life 
together in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Be a blessing in your community.